this Facebook. I thought it would be good to share with you if you weren't able to see it. Uh, Pastor Eddie wrote this. Let me encourage you to cease talking about your hurts and betrayals. Each time we repeat them, we are advertising Satan's successful attempt to crush us. Give Satan no more free press. Instead, speak about God's wonderful comfort and plan for your future, which has not changed, regardless of what was done to you. Amen? That is just great, great stuff, and it received like hundreds of shares. I wish I could get as many shares and likes as Pastor Eddie gets on any given Facebook post. My goodness, I mean, he, he's, got that, he's got that following, he's got that influence, that book coming out. Um, I can't wait to get a hold of it and uh, get it autographed as well. Um, but again, when you talk about worship, you can't not talk about David, you can't not talk about David and Goliath. I'm in 1 Samuel chapter 16, when everything begins to unfold. I'm going to start in verse 6 there in chapter 16. Uh, when they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. Okay. My bad, Eliab. Things not looking so good for you. Uh, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Verse 8, then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shimea. But Samuel said, neither is this the one the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. But Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he is out in the fields watching the sheeps and goats. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. Or before that, he said, send for him at once. Samuel said, we will not sit down until... Until he arrives. So as David stood before, stood before there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of oil. He had brought and anointed David with oil. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. You know very well, looking back historically, that the job status of being a shepherd was not something that was everybody was looking for. It wasn't some high status position. It was actually a very low status position during that time. I find it so interesting, though, as we are as as Samuel is seeing these sons and he's seeing Eliab, like, hey, man, this is probably the man. He looks like a beast. He looks like he's fit. Looks like he is ready to to be king. And um, God says, I don't look on the outward appearance, but I look at the heart. And then here's David, and David is before Jesse and Samuel, and he's being anointed as king. Um, which leads me to my very first point. I'm going to help you out today. We want to look excellent, but God wants us to be excellent. And there is a vast difference between just looking the part and being the part. And I believe we live in a society of people through filters, through through social media, through just showing the highlights of our lives, that we are wanting to look the part. And God wants something so much more for you than just looking kingly. He wants you to be kingly. He wants you to be who he's called you to be more than just looking that role. I can imagine David showing up to Samuel and being in front of everybody, and he's sweaty, he's nasty, he's dirty doesn't necessarily look the part. 
It's because God wants us to be the part. Again, we want to look excellent, but God wants us to be excellent. I remember a time in my life, I'm graduating college, I'm in school debt up to my ears. I mean, I'm just like, I know God's called me. I've had all these amazing experiences in the Lord and people speaking over my life and all this amazing stuff, right? But here I am graduating from Lee. Ain't got no job opportunities to be a minister. Your boy waiting tables at O'Charlie's. But God, you called me. But God, you anointed me. But God, I thought I was supposed to be doing this. I'm having these dreams and these visions and people affirming them. But I'm at O'Charlie serving rolls and potato soup. And I'm over it. And I remember working that job thinking, what did I do wrong? Where did I miss it? Everything was going good. I was a part of a ministry during my college years that was doing youth conferences every weekend in front of thousands of people, getting the opportunity to see lives change every single weekend, every single semester while I was going to college and thinking to myself, this is just the start. Here we go. Here we go. We doing this. We going. And then once I began to transition that, once I have transitioned into real life and had to get a real job and had to pay some real bills, um, I began to realize, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't necessarily know what I signed up for. I don't know what's happening right now. And I remember working that job, and I remember volunteer youth pastoring and still working that job. And, and it had been two years, and it was two years of working at O'Charlie's, and the manager came excited with the staff there to give me a pin of working two years at O'Charlie's. And I remember thinking to myself, like, this is the worst accolade I've ever received in my life. <laughs> this, is, this is awful. And they're all like, oh, yeah, it's great. Great accomplishment is great. And I'm like, I did not go to four years of Bible school, thousands of dollars of debt, to get a pin from O'Charlie's for waiting tables. This is absurd. What is happening, God? And I, I remember having to go to the bathroom, you know, um, after all that was happening, just to... Not have an emotional panic, I don't know, throw chairs through the window kind of moment of just, God, what is happening? What is going on? What are we doing? And I'm still just kind of working that job. It might have been the next day or the day after that. I mean, it's such mundane work. It's just such just, at that moment, I just felt just so petty, just so lame. I felt like I was just so above working this kind of job. And I remember, you know, you had this like protocol filling in like the sugar and the Splenda and like the sweet and low packets and it had to be seven each and they had to be like white, pink, yellow, white. And it had to be like in this order. It couldn't be the other way around. And filling the salt and pepper shakers. And I just, and it just took forever to do. And I just remember one day I was getting done finishing up my shift and I said, you know what? I'm not doing them sweet and low packets. I'm going home. I ain't hardly make no money. I'm done. I'm out. And I remember just being so frustrated and the Lord speaking to me, saying, if you'll be responsible of little, I'll give you much. 
and as clear as day. Like, I can tell that to you. I can say, hey, you need to, you, you know, God's going to make you, you know, you, you be ruler of little, he'll make you ruler of much. Like, I can say that to you, and it just kind of go in one year and out the other and be like, yeah, whatever. But when you hear it from the Holy Spirit, when you hear it from the Lord, it takes on a whole totally different meaning. And I remember in O'Charlie's, in my section, cleaning things up, hearing from God, and just him saying that to me changed everything. It changed everything about whatever situation I was in, whatever job I was in, whatever, you know, relationship tension I was in. It changed everything. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 is going to help you, give you some structure for that kind of thought. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you're working for the Lord rather than for people. David gets anointed king, and you guess what happens right after that? He goes right back out to the field and watch some sheep. Well, you just anointed me king. Yeah, but you need to go tend to them sheep. But hold up, hold up, hold up now. But you called me. Yeah, but them sheep, somebody need to take care of them sheep. And I think a lot of times we just miss God because we fail to realize the moments that we're in right now is a catalyst for the next moments before us. So you have to make the most of where you're at right now. You may not like it. That's fine. That's understandable. It may not be utopia. That's understandable. You make the most of the moments that you're in right now. And it'll be a catalyst for the seasons ahead. I know that because um, I experienced that. And you see the life of David. You see, you're going to see on into the next chapter how what he was doing, watching those sheep, being faithful to what his father assigned him to do allowed him to walk in his divine purpose. Because our purpose is directly correlated to worship. And our worship is directly correlated to our purpose. They go together. They're one. So me working at O'Charlie's, me working that job, is worship to God. You working that job, you, whether it's at home or, or raising those kids and it's trying times at the ages that they're at, it's all worship to God because it's your purpose. And your purpose is giving worship to God, whatever situation, whatever scenario you're in right now. Romans chapter 12, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Let me help you out when we talk about praise, when we talk about worship, when we're talking about worship makes a way. Number three, Praise is magnifying what God has done. Worship is magnifying who he is. And what happens a lot of times we get into, maybe when you come here next week, or, or maybe you've ex, you, you can remember when you step into a worship service and you just had a bad week. Like you've been a bad spouse, you've been a bad employee, like you've, been a bad, you've been a bad employer, you've just been a bad brother or sister, whatever the case may be, you just had a terrible terrible week and you get in God's presence and you begin to evaluate who you are, what you've done. And you say, man, I just, I, 
I deserve to be struck down right here, right now. I don't deserve to be in God's presence. I don't deserve to experience the goodness of God. I don't deserve to raise my hands. I don't deserve to just go before the Lord because I have not lived up to what is honorable to the Lord. And, and, and what happens when you think about praise being magnifying what God has done and worship magnifying who he is and how we get into this crossroads moment mentally, emotionally, spiritually when we get into atmospheres of worship is because we are coming to this realization of this is what I've done and this is who I am. But what is so powerful about praise and worship, what's so powerful about worship and why worship makes a way for you, and I believe is going to make a way for all of us moving forward in the kingdom of God, is that it doesn't matter what we've done, it doesn't matter who we are, because all of those things are subject to what he has done and who he is. And so you can, you can sit here and just think about, this is what I've done, this is who I am, But when you begin to really, and you can focus just on that alone. You can focus just on those things alone and then realize, okay, I can consider and really, really focus on all those negative things. But when I begin to think about the goodness of God, and when I begin to think about who he is, all of that stuff is subject to who God is. God is not subject to your past. He's not subject to your present. He's not subject to the things that have gone on in your life and who you feel like you are in this moment. He is greater than all of those things. And this is where you should be just shouting amen in the comments for your boy right here. I'm trying to help you out. Worship makes a way. And when you begin to think about all that he's done, who he is, it gives you an opportunity to realize I am, not, I'm, I am not the person of my past. This is not who I really am. This is who God has called me to be. Let me read some scripture and help you out with this. John chapter 1 verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Ephesians 1, 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. John fifteen sixteen, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Romans 6, 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Genesis 1, 27, So God created mankind in his image. In the image, he created them, male and female, he created them. Jeremiah 1, 5, before I, was, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light. Can you say amen to that, right? I mean, this is, when you begin to really digest the content of who God has called us to be, what he has made available to us, it changes everything. You begin to put the past and the present even behind you, begin to move forward in who God has called you to be. Again, you start, when you talk about worship, you got to talk about David. When you talk about David, you can't not talk about David 
and Goliath, the greatest Old Testament children's story of all time. I mean, this is it right here, the ultimate underdog story. Or is it? Or is it truly the ultimate underdog story? When you begin to really look at what was going on in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and when you look at it from the the historical context of that time, begin to realize David was not the underdog. Studies, historians would tell us that um, there are three different type of warriors of ancient warfare, cavalry or horsemen, heavy infantry, your swordsmen, different things like that, and then your artillery, which are archers and slingers. What shepherds were known for being slingers, shepherds were known for being a type of infantry, being a type of soldier in ancient warfare. So shepherds weren't just just nobodies, but shepherds had the opportunity with the time that they were spending in the fields to begin to work on their craft, to work on their slingshot, to work on their um, skill. Judges chapter 20, verse 16, this is how we know shepherds and slingers were bad to the bone. Among Benjamin's elite troops, 700 were left-handed, and each of them could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's breadth without missing. Now, we know in this particular region where David is picking up his stones and he's getting ready to go before Goliath, that these stones were twice the density of just normal stones. We also know that it's not just like a, a kid's toy, you know, like slingshot, like I'm shooting like empty Coke cans, you know, with my homies. But we realize that this was a devastating, deadly weapon that David was carrying and something that he was becoming excellent in. It's two leather straps, a little pouch that you put the rocks in, and they, spin, and they would spin... This slingshot so fast and released a stone so quickly that it had the, that the only way to really describe in our modern terms of the sheer power of what he was holding and what he was using as far as a sling is that equivalent to a 45 pistol. So when you begin to consider David walking out before Goliath with a weapon, the equivalent of a handgun or 45 going before Goliath, you begin to quickly realize David is not the underdog. And I want to help encourage somebody today, the people of God, we are not the underdog. It doesn't matter what it looks like. The Bible is very clear to tell us all of Goliath's armor his spear and the head of the spear weighs 15 pounds and he has a shield and homeboy, he got to get homeboy to help him bring out the shield because it's, it's a big, huge shield. And he's got this mail of, of armor over his legs and his torso and this helmet. And he has this massive sword and, and the Bible's real clear to show us all those things. And in life, the world is very quick to tell us how big and bad and ugly our enemies are. And on the surface, it looks complete, we look completely outnumbered. It looks completely unfair. You look at David, he comes out with a staff, he comes out with a slingshot, and he comes out with five rocks. 
Now, on, on the surface, that's ridiculous. But when you realize, as David is, is, is conversing with Saul in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, he's saying to him, I've killed my lions. I've killed my bears. I, 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 like, when, when, a, when a lion or a bear came and tried to get one of my, my sheep, the Bible tells us he grabbed him by the beard and smoted him, is what some translations say. Look, I don't know what smote necessarily means, but I don't want to get smoted. Smote it sounded like he was giving a whooping to a lion? to a bear this is so fascinating when you begin to think about the fact that david was being faithful to where he was in the mundane everyday ritualistic work of being a shepherd but at the same time it was a catalyst for the next season him conquering these everyday mundane battles set him up for not just his own personal victory, his own personal deliverance, but corporate victory, but corporate deliverance as we see as he takes out Goliath. You know the story. He throws a rock, hits him between the eyes, and knocks him out. And a lot of times we have looked at that story as like, what a man of faith. He just went out there and threw a rock, and God did the rest, you know? And I think we fail to realize that God, that David was being so faithful and working his craft and owning where he was at in life, and conquering. It was was no act of faith for David. It was an act of faith for him being anointed king to go back to being a shepherd. That was the act of faith. When God calls you to be a king, and you got to go back and wait tables, or God's called you to be a king, and you still got to deal with these kids in your house? But God, you called me to the nations. This three-year-old about to drive me crazy. God, you called me to this. Why am I dealing with this? Because if you be faithful with that, he'll give you much. He'll give you much, friend. Be faithful to where you are at. Be faithful to the little that God has given you. And I just want you to know something. And thinking about this, it's fascinating. Again, the, the accuracy that shepherds had during that day, they could hit birds in flight, historians tell us. You hit birds in flight? With a rock and a sling? I mean, these guys were no joke when it came to being on the battlefield. And you need to know something. The Bible tells us that Goliath was a student of war. He knew, he knew full well who was coming onto the field. He knew that this was a slinger, that this was a shepherd, that this was somebody who had, had deadly capabilities. I want you to know something. Your enemies are terrified of you. They're terrified of you. We are not the underdog. We actually have the upper hand, and it's much, much, much in the opposite as what is seen on the surface. So anytime I, I, see, I hear people using the David and Goliath analogy, I'm always thinking it in, in opposite of what they are describing it as. Because we as a people of God have the upper hand. We always will. And I think it's so fascinating because when you think they sent David, Back in the Old Testament, back way back in the Old Testament with Jericho and the walls coming down, they sent the worshipers first. They sent David, the worshiper, first. In your life, when you're facing battles, when you're facing struggles, you got to send the worship first. You got to go first in worship. But you got you don't understand. You don't understand that the, the enemy, he bad. 
It's scary. You don't understand what's going on politically. You don't understand the tensions of our time. You don't understand the tension we have as a family financially. You don't understand all this thing. Worship. Go first and worship. Send David first. Send the worshipers first. Here's how I know this point number four. We have to stop fighting our enemy the way our enemy is fighting us. Saul says, David, you got to put this armor on, big dog. You got you to put this on. And you got to just hope for the best. And David, said, and David says something along the lines of, I, have not pro- I cannot wear this. I have not proven it. I have proven what I have with me right now. I know what I am capable of with what I have right now. And that's because you can't, you can't live in the glory of somebody else's devotional life. You can't live in the glory of somebody else's prayer life. You can't live in somebody else's faithfulness to tithe and to give offering. You can't put on somebody else's armor and think it's just going to be okay. You have to determine what worship looks like in your life, what giving looks like in your life, what praise looks like in your life. You have to be who God has called you to be right where you are at. Whatever that is, whatever status that is, whatever title that is, be the best of that for the glory of God. I'm telling you, and O'Charlie's, when God spoke that to me, it changed everything. I said, you know what? For the rest of my days, I am doing my work unto the Lord. And I'm telling you, when God spoke that to me, I went to work happy. I went to work with peace. I went to work with joy. And it wasn't much longer. It was literally weeks after that where God opened a door for me to move on and begin to walk in the calling that God had put on my life. You just got to be faithful where you're at. That's a lot easier said than done. Friend, I know I've been there. Again, we have to stop fighting our enemy the way our enemy is fighting us. We have to send the worship first. We have to send our worship first and foremost before God. Last point, Jesus, for us, is like David. He has won the private and corporate battle. He has defeated our corporate giants. And I love this. He has defeated our personal lions and bears. God is not the God of just national deliverance. He is also the God of personal deliverance. He doesn't want something just corporately for the body of Christ that he doesn't want more than just for you personally in your own life. God desires to be the God of the nation, but not more than he wants to be the God of your heart. God desires to be the God of the public, but not more than he wants to be the God of the private. God desires to see national freedom, but that is preceded by personal deliverance. David did not walk out in blind faith. David walked out in confidence that private private faithfulness produced being faithful over little, becoming ruler over much. When we allow Jesus to defeat the lions and bears of anxiety, confusion, doubt, worry, stress, double-mindedness, and when we we can then expect full well that our corporate giants will inevitably fall, not by chance, but by fact. That greater is he that is within me than he that is in the world. 
one analogy in Scripture, and then we're going to be done today. As we're in here and we got the cameras on, and these cameras have a focus element to it to allow you to really dial in on what's most important or who's talking or who's singing. And I feel like a lot of times in life, these cameras also are like us and what we focus on. And it's real easy to focus on the enemy and his armor and all this stuff on the surface. But like in the beginning of the message, God is looking at the heart. He's not looking on the outward. And what happens when you and I get our eyes off of God or get our eyes off the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the presence of God, the purpose of God, it becomes blurry. Like if this camera were to begin to focus in on one of these band members and take the focus off, I would become very blurry and vice versa. I think a lot of people during this hour are focused on the wrong things. And because of that, God gets blurry. The Word of God gets blurry. The message of God gets blurry. The love of God gets blurry. The presence of God gets blurry. Everything becomes really questionable and confusing, and we're just not really sure who God is or what God has done. Set your eyes on the Lord. Send worship first. Put your focus on the Lord. But man, God, but there's a lot of bad things going on. Yeah, 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 I understand. Put your focus on the Lord. More than ever, we need, we need to understand, our world needs to understand that God is the answer. And when they look at us, they need to see us looking at Him. And they need to see us looking like Him. And that doesn't happen when we're looking at everything else. That happens when we dial our focus in on Jesus, His Word. And who he's called us to be. If things are blurry, friend, focus in on the Lord. Focus in on the Lord. If there's anything that David is famous for other than this, this battle, it's Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leaves me beside the still waters, he restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I, this is my favorite verse, verse 4, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though it's all around me, I will not fear it. Why? Because you are with me. He is with us. Does it matter what's going on around us? Focus in on the Lord. He is with us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's evident through us, through study and through contextual, you know, exegetical looking at scripture that David is on a hillside with his sheep pinning these words. Yeah, he's watching sheep, but he understands full well who God's called him to be. And though there may be, he may be clearly in Enneagram 4 and on like just emotional roller coasters day in and day out. When he's here, he's, he's, he's like, I'm God's beloved and God's called me. And like, I don't know God where you're at. I don't believe in you. And like we see that through Psalms, that emotional roller coaster. 
But I love it when you see in verse 4, though, though all of this is around me, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I want to encourage somebody today that he is with you. No matter what it looks like on the surface, no matter what your enemies look like on the surface, he is with you. And more than he wants you to go toe-to-toe and and, uh, he, you know, we don't fight our battles with flesh and blood. It, it's, it's all spiritual. It's all supernatural. It's all on a different level. You, find, you can see that in Ephesians. But I want you to know today, friend, that he's called you, that that, that that word on your life hasn't diminished, that the season that you're in right now is pivotal for you moving forward in all that God has intended for you. And I want you to know, friend, it is good. It is worth it. It is more than worth it. You, you will, once you begin to walk in all the blessing, the goodness of God in the days to come, you will look back and say, it was worth it all. It was more than worth it. Even though I, I was just about going to give up and I was just about going to give in to my fears, I am so thankful that I stay true to my faith and I stay true to the word of God and I stay true to the people of God. I hope this was a blessing to you today. We are excited about everything that God is doing here. We can't wait to be back together. And we're going to be spreading out. We're going to be doing things as safely as we possibly can during these, during these days that we live in. But I want to encourage you next Sunday, get to the house of God. Be with us 9 and 11 a.m. It's going to be an incredible time together. And um, so much before us. And I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. I want to pray a blessing over you before we dismiss from this service. Lord, thank you for the people of God. Thank you for the ability to do this during these times. We can't wait to get back together. God, I pray that you would bless your people. God, I pray that hope would go through this camera and go into the living rooms, into the bedrooms of the people of God today who are watching, who are taking notes, who have been commenting, who have been interacting God, would you fill that place with your presence, with your hope, with everything, all the purposes, with all the purposes that you have laid on your people. God, may we just reattach ourselves to the promises of God. And God, may we walk and live and and just breathe the goodness of who you are. And we stop focusing on other things. May we really dial our focus in on who you are, who you've called us to be and realize we are not the underdog, that we have the upper hand. And God, that this season that we are in is a catalyst for the seasons to come. And God, we're going to do it for you. We're not going to do it for anybody else. But God, we're going to serve faithfully where we're at, right where we're at. Even though we may not like it, we may be confused. God, we're going to serve faithfully you. We're going to serve you and worship you during this time. And God, I just pray that there would just be a refreshing experience of worship for the people of God. Maybe, maybe someone you're watching and you just never really like sang to God. You've never like lifted your hands. You've never just honestly had an affectionate moment with the Lord where you really talked to him from an emotional, mental, spiritual place with the Lord. I want to encourage you this week to do that. Set aside some kind of moment where you can genuinely pursue the Lord like never before. I promise you, it is going to make a way. And God, I pray that you would just continue to be with your people. Bless them, protect them. And God, we give you all the honor and all the glory. We do these things in your son's name. Amen.